Hello and welcome to the Hippocampus podcast, a place where we discuss the strategies that help optimise learning. So join us for some grassroots conversations where we share some practical tips and insights that might just make your learning journey a little easier. So in this episode, we are joined by Dr. Carolina Cooper-Tetzel, an expert in memory and learning from the University of Glasgow. Carolina does a lot of work in translating research findings in terms of memory and learning to help students and staff optimise their teaching and their studying. She is a member of the Learning Scientists Group, uh, which is a group of cognitive psychologists who created some fantastic resources uh, to help students understand and embed more effective approaches into their learning. So let's join the hosts, me, Lisa, a lecturer in medical education, and Nikita, a medical student. So, hi, welcome back. How are we doing, uh, Nikita? Yeah, doing well. Not so bad. How about you? Yes, yeah, not so bad. Looking forward to uh, to the weekend and uh, the end of the week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I finish uh, officially this week, my block. Ooh. So, so yeah, quite so excited what, about that. What's next? What have you uh, what got have you GP, going GP, back oh, in Leicester, okay. back in Leicester. So, so, yeah, looking forward to it, definitely. Excellent. And you've been out up at... Is it where is it you've been out on place? So I was in Burton, Burton. so not far from home from Derby. So yeah, okay. it's been quite a comfortable kind of commute. Um, yes. But yeah, no, going to be back in Leicester, living there again. So we'll get Excellent. used to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are really pleased to have another guest join us this week, uh, Dr. Carolina Cooper Tetzel. Uh, Carolina is a lecturer in psychology at the University of Glasgow and her research interests are in learning and memory phenomena and she does a great deal of work in communicating her findings from the research to educators and students to help optimise our teaching and our learning. Uh, So Carolina, hello and welcome. Thank you. Hello and welcome, Lisa. And um, I can also see you, Nikita. Thank you yeah. for having me. <laughs> um, I'm very hello. I'm very excited to be here and um, to share what I can share about learning and uh, memory and teaching. And um, yeah, thank you very much. Fantastic. So, could we maybe start off by just telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested and involved in researching memory and uh, and learning? Yeah. So, it, my interest really in cognitive psychology, so the area that actually deals with learning and memory and how we think and remember information. This really started. Um, during my undergrad studies in psychology. So I started, uh, I studied psychology at the University of Mannheim in Germany. And there it's it very early on, that was the lecture I was most attracted to. I loved going there. I loved about um, learning about those cognitive processes and how we remember information. Why do we forget information, all these things. And so very early on, it sparked an interest and uh, my professor back then, too, he, he was really eager to get me um, to work in the department as a research assistant. And so it, it began quite early, um, this focus on cognitive psychology. And then when it came time to, um, so I did my uh, undergrad and um, grad studies, um, and I finished everything up. And then um, I went into working on my PhD. 
And there it was clear it would be something about memory and learning. And so my professor um, who supervised my uh, PhD thesis, he was really interested in the fundamental processes of um, memory and not so much interested in applying um, that knowledge. And I said, the only way I'm doing a PhD is if I can do a field experiment, if I can do an application of the fundamental processes of a fundamental learning phenomenon um, to an applied setting. And he's like, okay, deal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so that's where... Basically, the roots were set then um, during my PhD to actually think about the bridge between the fundamental research of cognitive processes and how to apply um, that to to an applied setting. And so then when I did my postdoc, uh, I actually wanted to emphasize more about um, on this point of application of knowledge and so on. And so when I did my postdoc in Toronto and then later on in St. Louis, in both cases, um, I investigated um, the phenomenon in, um, in an applied setting in education. No, that, that's brilliant. Um, I mean, it's, and I, I, I didn't sort of study academically in terms of psychology and memory but it is such I think such an interesting area and and absolutely the importance of kind of the application of of what is found in the research um is is, is so important and uh, I know you've obviously been doing a lot of work to to sort of translate those findings in, in into practice um what are then sort of some of the important findings in memory research that uh, you found or, you know, sort of other researchers have found that do have practical applications when it comes to learning? Mm-hmm. So I think if we look at the research, um, we want to make sure that we um, make recommendations based on rigor research that has been replicated multiple times and not only in very controlled settings such in uh, laboratories, but also in actual classrooms. And if we look at this kind of research, what we can see that there are quite a few um, strategies that um, evolve from fundamental research in cognitive science and can be nicely applied um, in the classroom. And I think two big strategies that I would... um, Um, that I would point out here is um, space practice and retrieval practice. And the nice thing about those two um, strategies is really that um, they can be very nicely combined with each other. So when we say, when we talk about space practice, we look at a situation where um, we have to decide how to schedule learning sessions. Okay, so when we when students study a specific material at some point in time, they will have to revisit that material. And so the idea is when do you schedule those revision sessions for that same material? And so you could, for example, go for a scenario where you cram all your studying right before the exam. So that would be cramming, right? But you could also say, okay, you take the same study time and just distribute it across several weeks. So you study 
30 minutes on the Monday, another 30 minutes um, on the Friday, um, another 30 minutes the week after, and so on. And so spacing out study time is something that has been shown repeatedly to be very effective for long-term retention of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the, the second strategy, really, retrieval practice, is one where we have to decide what do we do when we actually sit down to study? Okay, so how do we do the actual revision process? And so you could opt for rereading your material, doing a lot of highlighting and just listening, for example, to a lecture or classroom recording over and over. Or instead of doing that, you could um, actively retrieve information from memory, recall what was said, um, try to remember what are the concepts that were talked and discussed and try to retrieve that information from memory. And that process of retrieving from memory has been shown to be very effective again for long-term retention of um, of the material. Yeah, and I think those sort of two strategies you you mentioned, uh, last year actually when I started exploring learning, when I started medicine, I was looking at ways I could, you know, improve what I'm revising when I sit down to do it. And I came across the learning scientists and, you know, when I discovered spacing and retrieve practice, so I've practiced that for a year. And you know what you're saying just for like students, you know, to, to give an example that it, it definitely works because I was the crammer, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in my, in actually for my whole entire schooling life. And for my first degree, I was a crammer just before the exam. And, and I mean, that is a student's fault, you know, there's no need to cram, but, but I think the idea of spacing it out has definitely helped with long-term retention. There's things that stay with me that, you know, they haven't stayed for this long before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a discussion with, with a friend and she would ask me, so what kind of a system are you using? So you mentioned the whole spacing thing. I wanted to ask you, some students really struggle with setting up a system, you know, how do they keep on track, you know, on track of it? And, and I didn't, I, I sort of said, you just have to keep on top of it. I mean, there's no other way of going about it. I mean, what do you have to say to that? Cause it is a struggle to maintain that rhythm Definitely. Um, I think one thing that's really important um, that lecturers can do is to give that structure to the students, to scaffold that process of actually um, planning study sessions. Um, So this is what I did with my students this semester. So um, they they had a progress tracker um, on Moodle. That's the um, a page that we use for, um, you know, where we put all the material on um, for students to download from lectures and so on. And on that page, I actually integrated a progress tracker. And in there, it's a week by week um, schedule of what they have, to, what is basically, what are the tasks per week that the students are um, expected to have completed. And so they can go into that uh, task list for a specific week. And when they are done with a the task, they tick uh, the tick of the items, which actually is a brilliant feeling <laughs> if you can tick off items. And in that um, list, I have basically implemented different aspects of continuing uh, continuous learning. So, you know, revise that specific lecture, um, revise the other lecture, uh, engage with that homework and so on. And the, the progress list is really in, structured in a way that encourages space practice. One thing that I did as well was um, they get um, three low stake quizzes, MCQ quizzes throughout the semester. 
And um, I wanted them really to use those quizzes because they're really low stake. They're just like 2% per quiz or something like that. It's like nothing really. Um, but I wanted them to use those quizzes as a learning event, as a learning opportunity. And so what I did is basically I gave them two attempts for each of those quizzes. And I said, for the first attempt, what I would like you to do is I would like you to take the quiz without looking at your notes, just from memory, okay? Just try to enter the questions as well as possible, just using your memory. So using retrieval practice. And then for the second event, um, for the second attempt, you can just, you know, look up the information that uh, you weren't sure about, um, look whether um, they're, what the correct answer is, because we know you want to perform well. But I actually want you to learn from this. And so what happens then for the second attempt, just use whatever notes you, you want to actually do the quiz. And the best grade of the two attempts will count towards your, your final, right? Um, and I think students really like that because otherwise they wouldn't use that, like they wouldn't do the ritual practice because they would be afraid that they wouldn't perform as well, which Probably it's true because retrieving from memory is more effortful and you might not get all the answers right. But having basically a fallback um, option as an, in a second attempt where they can actually look up the information um, that basically did the trick this semester. I think that's one of the challenges with, with you know, sort of embedding retrieval practice, isn't it, is that it is hard and it's uncomfortable and especially when it's a topic that you're just coming to and you think well you know you, you might have a, a stack of quizzes that you know you can do but you tend to put them off until you think right <laughs> I'm not ready to sit these until I feel I'm going to do well on them and it's kind of changing the perspective of of using questions as a way to as a learning tool as a way to to, to sort of support you in learning things in the first place rather than as a tool to prove that you've learned something um and i think just just coming back to the point that you'd mentioned around spacing and, and in embedding that into kind of a, a habit or a routine again that's something that is really really hard and i think you know it, it does require planning um mm -hmm. you know and it, it's brilliant you know if you've got you know, a course that's set up that helps to structure a degree of planning or the way that the course is organized encourages those or models those opportunities to to keep coming back to information. But I think, you know, for students who perhaps don't have, you know, that structure in place set for them and, you know, sort of thinking in the context of, 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 of medical students or students that might have quite high volume of, of information coming in every day, it's a real challenge to to think, well, I can just about get through what's coming in on the day, never mind looking at what I, mm -hmm. I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. And are there any kind of sort of suggestions around kind of balancing balancing that really? And, you know, what what is the kind of, you know, is, I know there's probably not an optimal time between when you should come back to something, but, you know, if you are going to try and just plan something, you know, how much time should you be spending and how long should you should you leave it? Because just to just to add to that from as an example that I, I kind of I had the system where I'd what Lisa was saying, um, where you have the stuff from that day, but then you have to think about the stuff you did before and factor that into the day. And then I was getting into this loop where I couldn't keep up sometimes. And that was a bit of a struggle. And I thought, OK, maybe this is normal. It should be a struggle. But you reach a point where you just can't you can't keep up. So, yeah. 
I think usually what I um, what you see is when you answer questions, that is a process that is usually very fast compared to um, reading all the material through again. Okay, so I would say if you if you're looking and revising um, your material at the end, you should reserve at least five minutes to come up with questions that summarizes key points of that material. And so when you then sit down again, let's say the week after or so, and you're revising the most recent material, what you would do, you would just take the questions from something that you studied previously, like not look at the actual material, but just the questions and take five minutes to answer those questions. So to have kind of this an in, in, in interleaving between answering some questions and reading some material and basically interleave this into a study session. Because again, answering a question is something that goes, that is quite quickly done compared to just like reading some, something over and over. And it is actually more effective in, in, in the long term as well, even though it feels more um, effortful to do so. Yeah, I think I think that was the mistake I was making. I think whenever I used to go back to, even if I spaced out three weeks, then five weeks, I'd, I'd go through the whole content again. Mm -hmm. And I used to get exhausted. So perhaps it would have been worth actually going through questions instead. Yeah, maybe that was something I should have done. Mm -hmm. So you said kind of what spacing is in terms of allowing time to pass between sort of revisiting something to, to be learned and the importance of, of retrieval, that kind of effortful pulling from from memory. These are, you know, obviously these are the kind of the evidence supported strategies and, and you know, we've touched on some of the reasons why they're hard to, yeah. to, to adopt. In terms of kind of looking at particular sort of higher education student populations, what are the more popular strategies that students tend to be using and, and why are they not the effective ones? Mm-hmm. I think um, when you ask students and there's research about that as well is, um, what they will say that um, that works for them or how they study is um, a lot of highlighting, um, a lot of writing large summaries or copying um, notes from one format to another format. There are quite a few who will say that they use flashcards, um, but it's important to actually observe how they're using the flashcards. And I will come to that in, in a second. Um, why are or, or cramming, for example, cramming is another strategy that um, many students actually um, use um, as a way to revise for an exam. So just like cram all the studying just before the exam. And the reasons why they're using this is because in the short term, those strategies actually work fine. <laughs> so that's the, that's the thing. The thing is that um, if you cram all night and then sit the exam immediately after, you you probably fine. So you probably will come up with a grade that is okay and you're probably happy with. Um, the issue is um, really about how you define effective studying, okay? So if your definition is, I just want to pass that exam, then what students are currently doing, like all those strategies that I just listed, can be seen as effective in their eyes, okay? However, if your definition of effective studying is to be able to retrieve that information and use that information, let's say a month from the exam, or even longer, or even honestly just 
the week after, right? Then you will see that those strategies like highlighting, cramming, they will not be successful for to reach that aim. Um, strategies that put more effort during the study process, um, for example, retrieval practice and, and um, space practice, those are the ones that lead to long-term um, effects on um, you know, being able to retain that information. And so it's really about what goal are you trying to, to achieve? And if your goal, particularly in medicine, is to be able to remember the information for a long period of time because you might need it later on to help a patient, then your strategies should be those that foster long-term retention of knowledge. For example, retrieval practice and um, space practice. You'd um, mentioned there about flashcards and, and we, we know flashcards are a particularly popular tool uh, with, with many students, but you, you alluded to the fact that they can sometimes be not used as effectively. Um, so what, what's going on there? Yeah, right. So with flashcards, um, so the, the thing about flashcards is they are a fantastic tool to integrate space practice and retrieval practice. Okay, so if you have different um, flashcards, you have specific keywords on one side, the answer on the other side, um, you can jumble them up and uh, space them out so that you have uh, a specific topic um, that you revise a specific topic at a later point in time. So you're integrating space practice. And then retrieval practice is when you look at the, the first, like the front side of the flashcard, and then you engage in that retrieval of the information that is on the other side before turning the flashcard. So if you do it like that, then you're integrating space practice, you're integrating a retrieval practice, and it's beautiful, right? However, if you use flashcards to just read them over and over, right? So you read the, the front part, you turn over, you just read it again, then you're not using flashcards to their biggest and best potential, right? So what you're basically doing is just rereading information, more passively going through that information. Uh, you might even do this always in the same order. And so flashcards is the thing that um, if students are already putting together flashcards, then there's just like a tiny step to actually make them very, uh, very effective learning strategy. Mm. I think as, as well, you know, I sort of see with a few students through my sort of academic support role that they spend a long time creating the flashcards. Uh, and I always try to sort of encourage them that it's not the creation, it's the use of them. And also there is a tendency to sometimes almost try and fix their recall to exactly what is written on the back of the card. Um, and almost that kind of sets their ability to recall that to certain contexts and triggers that are present in the moment. So they can perhaps recall that when they're looking at the card, but when they're in the exam, for some reason that doesn't translate as well. And, you know, I don't know if there's ways around that in terms of how you use the flashcards that just make that learning more flexible, more sort of applicable outside of the, the context of the card. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely with, with the flashcards, what I what I do in my um, 
lectures in the beginning. Um, so usually I have an induction lecture in the beginning and uh, I talk about different study skills and how to implement them um, in that specific semester. And then I usually always ask the questions, okay, what kind of strategies are you usually using? How are you revising um, the material? And then there are always students who say flashcards. Honestly, it's always the case. And then I ask them, okay, so can you just really demonstrate to me how you're using the flashcard? And they might be a little bit, you know, I don't know, what does this woman want from me now? What is happening? I'm like, no, honestly, so I give you flashcards. This is those are the flashcards in your hand. And I like pretend I have flashcards in the hand. What do you do next? And it's honestly all the time. Every time I ask this question, it's kind of, well, I read one side and I turn around and read the other side. And I'm like, okay, let's optimize this. <laughs> so it always works. <laughs> yeah, the temptation is to flip it over, isn't it? I've done mm -hmm. that, you know, because you, you, you look at the question. Oh, okay, I can't remember. Turn it over. So it's just, it's kind of that, isn't it? So it's really an attitude shift of, okay, let's make the brain work a little harder and, and persist and then try and. And also the thing is, is when you have a specific definition, because I know you have to know certain definitions and you have to fit in with mark schemes and all these kinds of things. But I think, would I be right in saying that you also need to engage around thinking about the concept as opposed to just learning a phrase or a definition on the, on the other side? And I think that really brings us to, a, to another strategy, which is elaboration. So really making connections between different ideas, um, how theories can explain a specific phenomenon, but not a, another one. So to, to draw those connections, to engage in that deeper understanding of the material, um, that's called elaboration. And mm -hmm. elaboration can be really nicely combined again with retrieval practice, because very often when I'm when I talk to um, mostly teachers or lecturers, when, when I talk about a retrieval practice, very often, probably the second or third question is, oh, but this is just rote learning. So this is just like memorization, right? So it's just packed learning. And I'm like, well, it really depends what kind of questions you're asking, right? So if your question um, that you're asking is about connecting different ideas, connecting different concepts, then that's a higher order question. And if students engage in retrieving those concepts and the, and the connection between those concepts, that is elaboration and that leads to, um, to a more in-depth learning. Yeah, I was itching to ask you about elaboration, actually, because the, those are the few other techniques that were even more sort of new to me when I was coming across them. And even things like concrete examples as well was another one. And I just thought, you know, those two things in particular were missing from my revision because I'm not sure, you know, the, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, we've touched upon this in our previous episodes where for medics as well, especially we're always stuck at the knowledge base and then you don't really go beyond that in terms of the critical thinking. And I was about to ask you, are things like elaboration, what you just described and concrete examples, do they sort of take you to the next level of, of, of learning, you know, where you can apply and understand? Yes, absolutely. So um, that's exactly what it is. You need the knowledge base at the beginning. And then what do you do with that knowledge base? How are you going to connect these different aspects in there? So to glue those concepts together to, to make those deeper understandings. And then two strategies, exactly what you say, that can be used for that is elaboration to actually think about why things are in the way they are, how they are connected to each other. And then concrete examples is another one that can help you to get a deeper understanding of the material by trying to 
find as many different examples for a specific abstract concept or abstract idea. Um, and this can, again, be very difficult in the very beginning, particularly if you're very low um, in, in knowledge for a specific subject. So this is something, again, that lecturers can scaffold, can help us um, to, to give multiple examples for a specific idea. Um, and also students can uh, try to prompt their lecturers um, to give more examples for a particular idea. Um, so yeah, those two um, strategies, elaboration and concrete examples um, lead to deeper understanding, a deeper comprehension, and that um, then in the end uh, makes it more likely for students to transfer knowledge acquired in one context into another context. I think that's that's the end goal, isn't it, of, of any learning is you want to be able to use it and you want to be able to use it in the future. Um, and, you know, th these are strategies that you you know, as we said, it's important to plan them into your time and to accept that they will be difficult to begin with. But once you've kind of started to habitualize and, and get them as just part of what you do every day, they're going to become a lot, a lot easier and, and they're going to play dividends in terms of keeping on top of actually new information that comes in because, you know, you've got a more secure, solid prior knowledge base to, 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 to land it onto. And I think, you know, for students that perhaps haven't adopted, you know, these strategies you know say during this semester that you know coming into the coming semester it's probably a really good time to kind of reflect on okay what i've been doing have i been embedding bits of retrieval bits of spacing you know bits of elaboration and not necessarily maybe doing a massive overhaul but just maybe taking just one of those things and and just seeing where they can embed it a little bit in, in into what to what they're doing because I think also if, if these ideas are encouraged, then it will just it'll change the learning journey for sure. Otherwise, mm. I just feel like it's mostly rote. I really think it's just rote learning. Mm. I really do think that. And, and I just feel like if, if my teacher told me that when I sat down to revise, OK, you learned that definition, but do you actually know its practical application? And I'd probably say, no, I don't. And, you know, then what is the point of learning it? Mm. And, and, and students get stuck in that rhythm and I've seen it myself. I've been stuck in that rhythm for my entire academic life. And I've been stuck at that base and never really gone beyond it. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's why when I saw these strategies, I thought, is this the way forward? Is and, and when you actually speak to good students, they're actually doing these very things naturally. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's who's very good at her subjects. And, and what I noticed is, is she asks me questions about, but what use does this have? Did you think about that connection to that module? And I'll be like, you know, I didn't really think beyond that. And I think that's the amazing thing is when you see good students doing it naturally. I think you've got to see and feel the benefits, haven't you, to be convinced? Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I just want to say, because this fits very nicely with um, a recently proposed model as well in um, how to to get students to engage and to use those strategies. And um, one aspect in this model was also um, about them experiencing that it actually works. So that was one um, aspect there. Um, another aspect was that they ha have to have actual the actual knowledge about those strategies. A third aspect was, and we also discussed this already, that um, it's important that it's already embedded in the curriculum so that it's not basically just isolated study skills and then, oh, here's the content you're, you're learning. So if there's a way to embed that 
into the curriculum, then um, it's also more likely that um, students will engage with us because they already see that it's part of, you know, the entire program. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the last thing that was in there in the model was about planning. Um, so actually um, to, to scaffold the process of them sitting down, actually plan ahead their study sessions and what they will do during those study sessions. Mm -hmm. You've got to make the time to do it, haven't you? And I, and I think sometimes people, because they feel so pressured in terms of the time that they think, well, I don't have time to do this extra thing. But actually, if you just sit down, you know, each week at a time and just sort of plan how you're going to approach, you know, the week's work with a view to, you know, working efficiently through the new information that comes in, but also actually planning and scheduling just a little bit of time to look at something that you did, you know, the previous day or the previous week. And as you said, the use of questions is actually that revisiting something doesn't have to take that long. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes it just feels like a, an insurmountable mountain that people just perhaps don't think they can give it a go because it just like, Oh, I just don't see how, how, how I can. With, sort of from the memory research why why is it that spacing and, and retrieval are better for long longer term learning like what what's kind of the mechanism there that kind of explains if we know explains why why they work better so the idea really is that those um strategies um invite this effortful cognitive processing so of the information so you really have to think about the information you have to actively engage with the information and uh, have to for example in case of retrieval practice actively retrieve that information from memory and that effortful process of retrieving something from from memory is that um is um is seen to be uh, important in regards to whether this uh, strategy is um, effective in the long term. For space practice, what we can see here is that when you space out your studying from you know, one study session to the next, you are integrating and inviting forgetting in between. And that forgetting, so if you have some forgetting going on before you reactivate that information again during a, a study session, that is basically where you have to reactivate that from a, um, from a point where it's almost forgotten, but it's still there, it's still retrievable, you still have access to this. That process of, of gives, gives that um, memory and that um, knowledge that you are retrieving that gives that a boost. So it is basically this, um, the implementation and introduction of difficulties in learning that makes and requires really an effortful processing with the material. And that leads to, um, to stronger, let's say, memory traces that um, are better recalled in the future. Yeah, because I think what you're saying about introducing those difficulties, I think often students would think, oh, learning should be easy. Um, and I think the part that should be easy is probably when you're actually learning the topic with your lecturer or when you're sitting down to revise it to simplify things, because that's what I'm doing right now. Things don't need to be that complicated. You know, a topic can be 
filtered down to a couple sentences and very simply it can be conveyed. But I think what you're saying, the difficult part is when you come back to it and when you revisit it, that's where maybe bringing in the element of challenge would be would be appropriate. Absolutely, yes. That's a good way to see that, actually. I have never thought, I have never seen it like that. So that's, uh, but that's a good way to put that, yes. <laughs> I think we, we tend to avoid forgetting because we feel it's a failure of, of learning, but actually it's a really important part of learning, isn't it? And, you, you know, when you are rereading over something, you, you kind of build that sense of familiarity and that can sometimes, I think, will you into thinking that you know something and have learned something and actually you haven't allowed a little period of forgetting to, like you say, sort of establish those stronger memory traces. And, and you know, I think, you know, I, I personally, that's, you know, I, I find it hard to, to, to sort of like, right, I'm just going to put that down and come back to it in a few days and just really sort of forcefully try and pull it out of my brain. And I, I know I won't find that easy and I'll find that hard, but actually that's something I should embrace. And I know that that's going to be a, you know, a productive use of my time. We were obviously coming to the end of the semester for, for a lot of students um, and uh, for a lot of students we, we, we will be entering sort of preparations for, for exams uh, for, for some students uh, and there will be students who who you know have have gone down the route of cramming um, so just to kind of maybe sort of wrap up really what would be your advice some sort of suggestions for students who are now coming into that kind of revision period ahead uh, of an exam maybe in a few weeks as to how they should kind of think, plan uh, and approach the, those next steps of, of revision? Well, obviously, if you are in the final stages before the exam, um, then space practice is something that's a little bit more difficult to actually implement. Um, because Again, because there's not so much time that you can actually do a lot of spacing there. But with retrieval practice, that's something that you can actually do. So um, answer as many questions as you can get your hands on um, from memory. Um, make sure that the questions that you're answering um, allow you to con make connections between different ideas and concepts. Um, do study groups. Um, I wouldn't do them too often, like not every day. But maybe once a week, meet um, once or twice a week, meet with um, another student or another um, couple of students and go through questions and explain different ideas to each other. So this kind of explanation to some someone else has been shown to be very effective, actually, um, for learning as well. So there is some kind of social component when you explain something to someone else. So the way you have to put it in specific words and have to phrase it, that allows you to gain a deeper understanding. And then the other person who may not maybe have understood the concept yet, that's a benefit for them as well. So this kind of um, explanation and retrieving the information, um, that is really something that I would engage a lot with. Um, look at the way um, exam questions are um, post. So what is the format of the questions? So that's something to keep in mind as well and to practice that format um, in advance. Um, so if it's multiple choice questions, then make sure you have multiple choice questions that you can um, use as a practice. If it's um, open, like more open questions, um, short answer questions, make sure that you have this kind of format that you practice with this kind of format. Um, and I think the um, 
probably the last advice is, is to practice answering the questions in the way that you are expected to answer it on the exam. So if um, you have to write down answers, make sure that you have at least one study episode um, reserved where you actually sit down and write down answers to questions. Um, if it's more verbal recall, so if, it's, if you have oral examinations, um, then make sure that you can actually articulate um, the answers. So it's kind of the thing to, in the final week, to actually make sure that you look at the format and you practice that specific format in your, um, in your study sessions. Yeah, because I think also with, with what you were mentioning about the social component and the doing it in the format that the exam would be in, I, you know, you feel a mental shift, you know, a cycle. I can feel that pressure, a psychological shift when I've been writing at my desk. And then when I speak to somebody about the subject, it feels so different. And I think bringing that in and not regularly, like you said, but every so often, I think can really um, improve the way you, you learn a concept. Definitely. Yeah, the thing is too, for example, when I was a student, I had lots of oral exams, like most of them were actually oral exams. Um, and one thing that I learned very, very early on is when I was studying for those exams, I had to make sure that at least I had one of those very, very awkward study sessions where I would say the answer out loud <laughs> because it's very different. It sounds very different in your head compared to if you actually have to articulate the words. So again, if you have um, oral exams, make sure that you actually speak the, um, that you actually speak out the, um, uh, the answers out loud, uh, even though it's completely awkward to do it on your own, but uh, it's very effective way to actually um, uh, study for those kind of um, exams the sort of open answer text questions as well having sort of practiced just that open articulation just shows whether you can you can construct a, a narrative uh, in an organized and concise manner in relation to a specific topic so yeah and we know that most people will be sort of pockets of, of social isolation and but there's no reason that you can't kind of do that over something like zoom or you know similar platforms it, it's just that that process, isn't it, of, of external articulation of your thoughts that that really challenges whether you've 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 understood something. So yeah, so that's brilliant. Some sort of helpful tips there for for some of our listeners, hopefully, to to sort of digest and and, and take win and give a go. So we come really to, to the final part of our show, which is usually some recommendations. So Carolina, if we maybe sort of hand to you as to uh, some recommendations that you'd maybe like to share with our listeners. Okay, so obviously my first. Recommendation will be to check the Learning Scientists um, website. So on that website, um, you will find a blog where we have a blog post every week. You, we have a podcast as well. So uh, many episodes already on there that you can listen to. And it's all about how to study different aspects of learning and memory. And it's all a, with the twist of applying that knowledge to um, education, to classroom, to your own studying. So take a look there. There are also posters there and um, we have little um, uh, bookmarks that um, basically give you reminders on how those different strategies um, work. 
Well, that would be my, my first recommendation to look there. The second recommendation is a network that I have founded a couple of years ago. It's the Teaching Innovation and Learning Enhancement Network, Tile Network. And that network really um, started as an external speaker series where I wanted to um, have different people from different educational sectors, so from primary sector, secondary and higher education, and to have a platform where we could all meet and we can all discuss how we can overcome issues in education um, using an evidence-based and research-informed approach. And so it started as a speaker series and all our speaker, um, sorry, all our talks are um, recorded and the recordings are on the website. Um, but now what I have added um, very recently is um, the student voice, because again, what I want to achieve with Tile is a holistic approach to education that everyone that is involved in education has a voice and can basically contribute to that network. And so that's why I, um, I started integrating the student voice as well. And students are invited to, um, to write blog posts on a topic that um, they are most interested in. Um, so they do some little research on that topic, literature, look at the literature, and then they um, put together a blog post um, summarizing that research, but also bringing in their own perspective and experience as students into that blog post. So I think currently we have four or five different blog posts on several um, topics. And again, if you're a student that is interested in, you know, science communication and, and learning and, and these kind of topics, feel free to um, approach me because I'm always looking at uh, for I'm always looking for students who, uh, who want to contribute to this um, because we want to have more of the student voice um, on the Tile network. So I think those would be the two recommendations um, for now. No, that's, that's fantastic. You know, we'll pop links in the recommendations to, to both of those resources. And yeah, you know, fantastic to, to kind of open up the arena to students. And we can perhaps pop contact details as well for yourself, Carolina. People want to, to get in touch about maybe sort of putting together a blog post on, on those, those things that you described. Brilliant. So, um, so that brings us to the end of this episode. And as always, a big thank you to to our listeners at home. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you enjoyed the episode, please do leave us a review and give us a follow on Instagram at the Hippocampus Podcast or on Twitter at Hippocampus underscore Pod. So that's all for now. So we'd just like to say a big thank you again to Carolina and uh, a goodbye. So goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>